Awesome. Thanks, Scott. <clears throat> good morning, everybody. Hello. As we've got some friends, our good friends here, Paul and Karen Scully from Atlanta, Georgia, Vineyard U U USA. Good to see you guys here again. And um, it's nice to know that you'll be here for a few weeks, so we'll make sure we catch up with you. Um, this morning, we, um, if you haven't had the chance and you are visiting, we would dearly love it if you'd fill out a little connection form. That would help us know of your visit and just drop it in up at the welcome desk on your way out. That would help, um, help us to answer any of those questions that you might have about who we are and what we do here at the Vineyard. Well, it's the season of the resurrection. We're celebrating the risen Jesus and... Um, I might just get uh, Isaac to bring up the PowerPoint for me while we get ready here. And um, if you have your Bible with you, there's, uh, there's two readings we're going to do. So you're going to need maybe put your finger in two spot, two places today. Or if you, um, but the first one is um, Isaiah chapter 61 and the other one is John chapter 20. They're the two bits of scripture that we're going to read together in a minute when we get there. But before we do, I want to say how wonderful it was last weekend to have David Thomas here. Always love it when David's in town. He, he brings such a wonderful teaching out of his walk with Jesus. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to David's teaching, I do encourage you, jump back onto um, Spotify or um, the church's YouTube channel, and you can listen back to uh, David's teaching. It was a very encouraging one. So make sure you get a hold of that one. Um, this morning, though, have you... I, uh, Nicole and I have just had the fortunate blessing of being able to travel um, over into uh, Portugal, and we, we've returned now three times to this little um, beachside town in Portugal, right down in the south of Portugal, right down on the, water, the coastline called Tavira. It's a beautiful little um, fishing town, I guess you'd call it. And um, the beaches aren't quite like what we're used to here. We're, we're absolutely spoilt here in Australia for beaches. But the beaches there, while they're rocky and muddy and all of the, they're more like mud flats, um, if you were to stand on the sort of the edge of where the coastline is where we were staying at Tavira and you, you look south, if you could see far enough just over the horizon, you'd be able to see Morocco, the top of Africa. It's, that's sort of where we were hanging out for a week with um, all these different um, vineyard leaders from around the world. And, but one of the things that we, we love about, oh, there's many things that we, we don't love about travelling such distances, but there are some things that we do love about travelling those distances and that's just seeing little things along the way that we love about those places that we go to. So, for example, in Tavira, they have all of these, all of the little door, all the buildings are painted white in the village. It's almost like a Greek kind of context. You know, everything's white with a blue roof or something. It's, it's like white with like a tiled roof, but they all have different coloured front doors on their houses. And their houses are all like, butted up next to each other. There's not a lot of room in between them. And then on every door, um, the colours of the doors we think are fantastic, but then there's also, they have, they're into um, tiles, you know, as in different coloured tile feature walls. And so the front of every house sometimes can have a, a, a different featured tile. And um, there's heaps of them. And in fact, whenever Nicole picks up a few little souvenirs for people, you go into the souvenir shop, one of the things you can buy there in Tavira is little souvenir tiles to hand out to people with a bit of cork underneath them. You can use them as a coffee thing, you know, put your coffee on. And, um, but it's just all these little beautiful little things about Tavira. And the front doors, while they're all different colours, that's pretty cool. They also have little door knockers on the, on the front of every door and every door knocker is different. Some of them are like someone's, literally like someone's hand that you just sort of knock like this. Others are birds, others are fish. It's all, just all sorts of different little unique handles or door knockers. And, um, you know, at first I, I would, you know, I would, I would have missed all of that sort of stuff except for the locals there. They said, oh, you must pay attention, you must see this. 
This is um, very special about who we are. And so when you take the time to um, just open your eyes a little bit, you get to see some of the very special, nuanced things about places and people that you meet along the way. Um, I love it when people from the USA come and visit in Australia because they all think we have... Well, maybe that's a general statement, but a lot of people I've spoken to from the USA think we have kangaroos in our front yards. And, and, um, but much to their disappointment, not everyone has a kangaroo in their front yard. And um, they want to see a kangaroo and they want to cuddle a koala. Same with, um, I was talking with some people from, the, from Europe when we were in Portugal and they're like, oh, we're just desperate to get to Australia one day because we want to hold a koala. You know, there's, there's some must see things about everywhere we go. And there's some must-see things about our country, Australia. And, um, and if I was to just put the question out there, like what, what would you say, and you feel free to bark it back at me, uh, is a must-see about Australia? If, if someone was coming here and they say, hey, listen, we're coming for two weeks, what, do you, what should we see? What's a must-see? Give it... Tell me something. Uluru, the beaches, the outback, the Kimberleys. Sorry, what was that? The cricket. Go to the cricket. A Boxing Day test match is absolute. I'm still longing to get to one of those in Melbourne. KO Stadium. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sorry? Sydney Harbour. That, that's pretty spectacular, Sydney Harbour. The Dane Tree. The Great Barrier. Lake Eyre. All right, now let's... That's wonderful. Those are all must-see places. Let's just, let's just narrow the scope a little bit. That's, that's, that's like high view, big view. Let's just narrow it down a bit. And if I was to ask you the question, what, is the, what are some of the must-sees about the Moreton Bay region? How would you answer that? Tell me. The mountains. Yep. Australia Zoo. The Pine Rivers Vineyard, yes, that's a good one, Belle. I'm with you there. <laughs> Why else would you come to the Morton Bay? <laughs> Morton Island. It's a little bit harder when you start to think about your own backyard. And you start to try and think about, actually, what are the things that are really unique to this part of the world that God has us living in? That is a must-see. And do we celebrate those things? Now, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about how Mary Magdalene, in John chapter 20, she experiences the risen Jesus there at their open tomb. She has this encounter with him. He's in the garden and she's, she's um, very sad and depressed because she's... She's wondering where they've taken her, her saviour, her messiah, and what, what have they done with his body. And so she's kind of wandering around in the garden a little bit upset about all of that. And then she thinks it's the gardener in there, in the, in the sort of in the corner of her eye, but then she hears the gardener call her name and she realises that it's the risen Jesus that Jesus has come alive again. And the scriptures tell us that in John 20 that Mary runs from there and she runs back to where the, um, the uh, disciples of Jesus are hanging out together and she says these words, you must come and see. You must come and see. And I would want to suggest that if we, if in spending some time in the Bible and being followers of Jesus, God is inviting for any and all of us who have had an encounter or a relational experience of meeting with the risen Jesus. 
where he's called your name and you've heard him reach towards you. He invites us all to become these must-see people. The destination is not a location anymore, though. You're the destination. Your life is the must-see evidence of the risen Jesus. So we're just going to unpack that a little bit this morning. We're going to have a look at what that might look like. But, you know, as followers of Jesus in the season of resurrection, we're drawn back into the reality that we are a people who've been given an invitation by God to us for the sake of the world that's in desperate need of love and redemption and hope. Uh, Nicole and I, we were sitting in the airport in, in Lisbon with a, um, a number of other um, of vineyard folk from different parts of the world. Some were speaking Spanish, some were speaking German and, and we were speaking Australian. And um, anyway, we're, we're this sort of hodgepodge of a group of people and we're sort of sitting in this very jammed up waiting area in the, in the um, air, airport. And um, there was this one spare seat. So Nicole sat down in this spare seat and this young, next to this young German woman. We didn't know she was German at the time, but this young woman. And she just, this young woman just started staring at Nicole and staring at us as a group. It's like... She didn't realise what she was seeing, but she was obviously seeing something that was drawing her attention. Now, um, I would want to say it wasn't our good looks that was drawing her attention. Now, let's just put that on the table, not, not denying that we're good looking, but I don't think that was what was drawing her attention, okay? Um, she was somehow being drawn to looking at us as a group, and so she, she's quite intensely staring at Nicole, who's just sitting next to her, even as you're sitting next to each other, this young woman staring at her and um, not realising what she was seeing. And then she says to Nicole, um, you know, a simple question like, who are you? Who are you people? And so Nicole just starts telling her, oh, well, my name's Nicole and I'm here with my friends and the reason why we're here is because of this. And... Um, and then the next thing you know, the young woman um, shares with Nicole that she's on her way to London um, for a holiday and it's a walking holiday but she has a, um, an injured knee and she's in a lot of pain. And so Nicole simply says to her, well, you know, God loves you and he can help heal her knees. And the young German woman replied, well, I've only got three hours. Can he do it in three hours while I'm on the plane? Because when I get off the plane, I have a lot of walking to do. And Nicole replies, well, um, my God can heal in a few seconds. He doesn't need three hours. <laughs> and so asking for permission, Nicole just gently reaches over and lays her hand on this young woman's knee beside her and asks the kingdom to come and commands their healing into this knee. Now, God was obviously touching this young woman. God was inviting this young woman in that moment to a come and see experience of the goodness of God for her life. So the young woman was incredibly touched by Nicole's compassion and her, and her faith. And her face revealed that she was aware that there was something going on. She had no words for it. She had no language for it or understanding of it other than something's happening to me. And Nicole just simply said, that's God's love touching you and bringing the healing that your knee needs. And so that, that, was, that was all of that encounter was. That young woman hopped on the aeroplane and we went our way. Now, was she fully healed? I don't know. Was she touched with healing? Well, I think significantly there was some demonstrative signs that tell us God was touching her. Her eyes, her words, her gratitude, her language was telling us God was touching her. You see, as followers of the risen Jesus, we become a people of invitation to come and see, even as Mary said to the disciples, come and see God is alive. Jesus is risen from the dead. 
So my question to us this morning is, who have you and I lately um, invited to come and see? Or where are the invitations that God is reaching out to people all around us and inviting us to partner with his come and see just how loving God is for your life? And so this morning we're going to pick up on a few of those um, dynamics. Have you got your Bible? Let's read together. I'm going to read the first one is John chapter 20. And we're going to pick up um, in verse 19. So Mary has encountered Jesus in the garden. She's, her, her confession is, as, as John recorded it in verse 18, she says, I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Um, verse 19 picks up. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Great encounter. Let's flick now over to Isaiah 61. And I thought it was great this morning, Michelle, just your song choices there. You were actually singing Isaiah 61 in one of those songs this morning. But Isaiah 61, so this is the prophet Isaiah, one of the big big hitters of the Old Testament. He's, um, he's bringing this um, prophetic declaration to a nation of people who've been long devastated about how God is going to come and rescue everything and everyone and make everything new again, okay? So he's prophesying this. And um, if you've got your ears turned on here, you'll, you might hear the echoes of the fact that this is the exact bit of prophecy that Jesus himself uses when he, he begins his public ministry, uh, just after he's baptised and he goes and gets, has this time of great testing in the desert and then he comes back into the city in the power of the Spirit. He goes to church or, or synagogue and he unrolls this scripture and reads it and then says, today that's been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is saying, all that, it's about me and I'm here to let you know it's time to do business. All right, so Isaiah 61 The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. And to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated, and they will renew the cities that have been devastated for generations." Strangers will shepherd their flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. You'll feed on the wealth of the nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. And all who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, 
For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, for the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes the seed to grow. So the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Amazing bit of prophetic scripture there uh, of, of promise. And it's that very promise that Jesus has fulfilled. And in his resurrection, he is now saying, I'm making everything new. So um, we might jump ahead to um, two slides. Thanks, Isaac. This morning, I, I just want to pick out of this encounter with um, Jesus in the in the in the room in the upper room or the yeah the room that's locked where the disciples are hanging out. I want to pick up there. There's a few little dynamics that I think are worth paying attention to when it comes to being disciples of Jesus. All right, the first one is revelation. Last Sunday, um, I was praying with a friend here at the vineyard during the ministry time, and as we prayed together. His, his eyes opened wide and his body kind of sort of shot up, bolt upright, upright a little bit as we were praying together. And I just said, you okay, mate? <laughs> and he says to me, it's just lifted off me. All the things that have been weighing on me just suddenly lifted off me, off my mind and off my heart. So I did a little interview I said, well, you know, as you walked up here and as we prayed together, what was going on? And he said, well, I physically felt a weight that I've been carrying just simply lift off me. And I'm so thankful to God. See, the power of personal revelation encounter with Jesus is for everybody. No matter what you're going through, where you are and what you're seeking to do with your life. Jesus is in the um, kingdom activity of bringing revelation of himself to you. Personal, powerful encounter that you realize it's God who cares about you in such a way to set you on a path to new life. Can you for a minute just think about over your journey, whether you've been journeying with Jesus for a long time or you may only just be beginning the journey of following Jesus as king. Of a time when he stepped into your space with a revelation of his presence to you. Just take a moment to bring that back to mind and heart. It's important that you do. These are the moments that keep us for the long road of following Jesus as Lord. Now think about someone that you know or you love who you long for that Jesus might step into their space as well. Just think about them for a moment and let your heart carry them as well. See, John 20, 19 reads, Jesus came and stood among them. This is what Jesus does. He turns up and stands among us. Now Mary has this wonderful encounter in the garden on her own. But then she goes and st- to, the, to where the disciples are all locked behind the doors for fear of what might happen to them. And there Jesus also turns up. On the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear, Jesus came and stood among them. Your personal revelation experience of the risen Jesus, brings you into a new life that is both for you and for the people around you. It has, it's, it's the two sides of the one coin. It's not, it is all about you. And it's all about you in as much as it's all about the people around you at the same time. So I love it when Jesus does these revelation moments. He turns up with the individual, but then hot on the tail of that, the scriptures tell us he turns up in the context of with that individual in a group of people. It's because it's for you and others. 
you know, if there's one thing that we're really, you know, we say it all the time, you know, here in the Australian culture and context is religion's a private thing. Well, actually, that's not true. <laughs> that's, that's just not true. It's not a private thing. It is a thing that is deeply private for you and at the same time for the sake of those around you so that they can see that God is good, so that they too might come into what you have discovered of the kindness of God for your life. Jesus came and stood among them. Your personal revelation experience of Jesus is for you, but it's also for the sake of your family. It's also for the sake of your work colleagues. It's also for the sake of your spouse. It's also for the sake of your neighbours. It's also for the sake of the guy who's sleeping under the, you know, under the street lamp tonight at the shops nearby where you, where you do your groceries. We are a people of revelation experience. We have experienced the risen Jesus who has come and stood among us. And he does that wherever we are and where, whenever we are together. The second bit is this. The other dynamic is this. Um, Isaac, let's go to the next, the next slide. Release or freedom. So revelation and release is the next thing. A revelation experience of Jesus leads us to a place of greater freedom because we are delivered out from where we are and into the reign of his peace. See, Jesus comes and steps, among, steps in the room, comes among them, and he says these words, peace be upon you. You see, see Jesus is ruling as the king of, um, of peace, but not according to the peace of this world, according to the one who has conquered sin, broken the power of death, risen again, and now stands in the middle of a chaotic world as the risen king, and he just says, my gift to you is peace. Are we living in the authority of the peace that Jesus is speaking over us and releasing over us? This, this, this Easter, this resurrection season, that's a question worth contemplating. How is the peace in your life going? Nicole and I, when, just on this last trip, when we were on our way to Portugal, we stopped in London for 48 hours and we got to catch up with Craig and, and Julie Stevenson and they send their love back here to everyone that may know them. Um, but we got, a, we, we got a day with them where we just walked around on the streets of London together. And one of the things we, we did was we got off the, off the underground tube and we came up at where Parliament House is. And there's Big Ben and uh, all that sort of stuff. And um, the big church there, I've forgotten. Westminster Abbey's there and all of that stuff. And so just thousands of people milling around. And so we're wandering around all of there. And then there's this, um, I can't think of the name of the street. But you, if you go down the main street there, you'll come to number 10 Downing Street where the PM lives. But you can't, it's, it's very interesting. It's not quite like it appears on TV. It's very interesting. You go down this main street and then it's like this little side street. Number 10 is sort of tucked in on this little side street. But you can't get in there because it's barricaded. Like there's huge fences, there's heaps of guards and all sorts of machine guns and big dogs and horses and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, there's number 10. And then just outside number 10 is this main street. And um, anyway, while we were there, it was a Saturday morning and there was thousands of people on this street and there was like four major protests happening, all just outside number 10, you know, different interest groups were all just like chanting and, you know, their cause and their protesting, this, that and the other. And we didn't realise it was protest Saturday, but anyway, we just kind of walked into the middle of it all and just hung out with a few different groups of people. There was, a, there was a group of Iranian people that were protesting something. There was a group of people who were protesting the fact that by 2030, 
all the tradespeople have to be, to be able to come into the city of London. You have to have an electric car and with no emissions. And so all the tradies are up in arms because it's like, we can't afford a new car. We, you know, we've just got to run these diesel trucks to do our business. And um, so they're all jumping up and down. And then there was, I don't know, there was two other groups. I think there was a, um, a climate change group going off as well. And then there was another. So we just sort of hung out with them and sort of just saying, how are you doing? What's happening here? And and we, but everyone's protesting because they want something to change. They want somehow something to change. And, and, and so they're giving voice to this in, internal cry. But the reality is they're hoping that if they can yell the loudest, someone will hear them and make the changes so they don't have to yell anymore. Because, and it was interesting because just under the surface of all of the marching and the protesting... You, you could feel it was like all of... You ever prepared for a bonfire and you get all the dry tinder and you start to gather it all in one place and it only takes just a little... And off, off it goes. You could feel that under the surface, just in the atmosphere. And all It was like everyone's just ready to explode with anger. You see, when, when Jesus came... The, the, the long-held view was that for the Hebrew people was that the Messiah would come and he would ride in on a horse and he would just flatten everything and everyone and he would establish order in the earth. And Jesus does nothing of the sort. Jesus comes into town on the foal of a, don- a cult of a donkey saying, I'm not here, I'm coming as the, the king of peace here. I'm coming in humility and peace to establish justice and righteousness in the earth. And so a lot of people missed him. So here's the thing about Jesus riding on the cold of a donkey in peace. His first public announcement from his resurrection is this. Peace be with you. But if you're expecting Jesus to, you know, gather up arms and hit the streets and, and just by brute force and power establish order, you've missed, you've missed the king. You've missed him. That's not how things get made new. He, he comes and he releases, though, these, these little band of believers out from underneath all of the cultural anxiety and, and he comes and he stands with them and he says, my peace I give you, even before he sends them out. But I wonder what it was. I mean, it says for fear of the Jewish leaders, but I wonder what it was on a personal level for each of them. What was the fear that was locking them up behind the doors? Just think about your own life for a second. What keeps you locked up? What keeps me locked up? What keeps us bound, stuck in a corner, unfree, crying out for release? And maybe we might not be running up and down the streets with placards and yelling and screaming and hoping that someone would listen, but maybe we're, maybe we're turning to all sorts of other vices, vices and tools and, and, and destructive behaviours to somehow meet this need that someone would give us peace? Is it a fear of dying that runs around in your head and your heart that keeps you locked up? Is it a fear of rejection? If people really knew who I truly was, would they still like me? Is it the fear of... um, it's the mountain's too big. It's high, it's a lost cause. Been there, done that, and cynicism now rules. Is it a fear of hopelessness? Is it a fear of failure? You set up for ourselves these these great expectations, and we've never been able to meet them. These self-imposed ideas and visions that of grandeur for ourselves that we just know we can't fulfil, and yet. We hold ourselves captive because of it. Is it a fear of not enough money? What's the thing that locks you up? 
What's the thing that locks us up? But with the revelation of Jesus who comes and stands among us with a grace and a power as a risen king and in his, in his speaking when he says, my peace to you, he releases them. He releases them from the power that has locked them down. There is a proclamation that comes from Jesus to each and every one of us that our hearts need to hear so that we can get unstuck unbound we can become free and when the disciples in John 20 verse 20 when they heard this as that proclamation landed on their ears and into the soul into their heart and soul it says the disciples were overjoyed they heard the the invitation to come into the peace of God How are we going with that this Easter, this resurrection season? Are we stepping into the peace of God? Have we welcomed the invitations from Jesus as the risen king, beckoning us, saying, come on, out from there. Don't live there anymore. I haven't made you to live over there. I've made you to live in everything I've won for you through my resurrection. Where are you living right now? Now, next one, um, thanks, Isaac. A third one is reinstated. I, I dig this. Um, David did a great teaching last week focusing on the disciple of Peter. But Peter, you know, just a quick little snapshot. Peter, he's, um, you know, he's the guy that's the big, the big you know, declaration. I'm with you, Jesus. I'm going to with you all the way, Jesus. Doesn't matter what. I'll never abandon you, Jesus. Let's go. And then sure enough, Jesus says, all right, we'll just come over here and, on, on the, you know, in the lead up to the, to the crucifixion, Jesus will come over here and just pray for me for a while while I go over there and prepare myself. And Jesus comes back to him. Pete's having a good snore. You can't even, you can't even stay awake, Peter. I've just asked you to stay awake and pray. Can't do that. No, I went, went all the way. I'll never, never deny you. It's all good. And sure enough, in the evening while Jesus is being tried and beaten and then um, um, uh, put to uh, court, there he is waiting in the courtyards and they say, you're one of, you're one of Jesus's disciples. You're with him. No, no, not me. I don't know him. And so, G- so Peter's this classic illustration of someone Who's, who's like desperately in need of getting unstuck from his own expectations, his own frailties. And then what does he do? He goes fishing. He just returns to what he knows because he feels completely disqualified from participating in everything that Jesus had already invited him into. He feels completely disqualified. How often do we relegate or disqualify ourselves from relationship with Jesus and others because we've somehow failed ourselves or them? How often do we relegate ourselves to the bench? How often do we disqualify ourselves because we've failed? How have you failed Jesus? That's a tough question, isn't it? How have you failed Jesus? Because if you can articulate it and you get a handle on it, you can walk away from it. But if you want to pretend that it's not there, you'll stay stuck in it. How have I failed those that I'm in a relationship with? How have I failed myself? All of these things, Jesus when he comes and stands among them and says, peace to you, he's breaking the power of and delivering people from and reinstating them back into who God says they are. And I love it. Jesus' words to um, the disciples in that room after he breathes on them is, is what? As the Father has sent me, the very commission, the authority of the kingdom of God, 
sits upon me and I rule and reign from as the Son of God that is risen from the dead. As the Father has sent me in that authority, I, I now extend it and, and send you, give it to you. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't say, well, hang on a minute. Uh, you failed there. You're out. No. He declares peace and he reinstates our failures, our disobedience, our rebellion, our stubbornness, and our refusals to even listen to God sometimes will not prevent Jesus from stepping into your space and mine to release us from the power that binds us, be it self-imposed or we partner with dark spiritual forces. He is given as the resurrected, risen God, Son of God, to reinstating you and I, to be genuine, fruitful, life-giving human beings. That is what Jesus is doing. He always redeems. He always reestablishes our relationship to God. He always restores our position as children of God. And he brings us that kingdom peace to be able to stand in all of the midst of the chaos and the cynicism and the trauma of this world. Jesus reinstates us to being a people who have seen him and are now sent by him to be like Mary to say to others, you got to come and see. This is a must-see. And the must-see is your testimony of Jesus alive in you and through you. It's your testimony. It's your story. We're so embarrassed to tell our own story sometimes. Don't be embarrassed. Your story is the story of God's love and purpose over your life. God needs your story of his love alive in you and through you. It's your story. You, you and I, we are the must-see destination. For the people that we're working, two doors down, at two desks down, or, you know, Uber driving, or in the halls of the hospitals, you and I are the must-see. You must come and see. I was listening to Nicole and I, we were cooking some dinner together the other night, preparing for a group of folk to come over and we were listening to a podcast and she was just playing this podcast of John and Debbie, Debbie Wright, who are the national directors of, of um, vineyard churches in the UK and Ireland. And Debbie was sharing a story about how um, in their journey of um, church planting, uh, they, she was driving with um, a lady and the lady's daughter in her car and, and ended up in a car accident where the daughter of this lady, she died in that accident. And Debbie was absolutely, you know, obviously absolutely devastated. And she spent this season in a very hard and difficult place. Um, but then Jesus invited her out from that place. He said well, something to the effect of, will you let me be good news to you? And will you then share that good news with others, wherever they are and whatever they're going through, that you've experienced my good news for your life? Jesus reinstates all the time. The enemy relegates, and we do it to ourselves as well. But Jesus reinstates. And lastly, we'll go to the last one. Thanks, um, uh, Isaac. The last one up there is revolution. The great reversal of all things back to God. The great reversal of all things back to God. N.T. Wright in his book says, uh, he, I quoted him on uh, Easter Sunday, the message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled in Jesus and now you're invited to belong to it. Have you joined Jesus' new world? Because it's outside the room that's locked for fear. The new world is out there. Jesus is bringing hope. He is bringing life. He is stepping in and, and speaking to people's lives. Have you joined Jesus' new world? 
in the airport, sitting on a seat, and a person looks at you with a strange look, but you have enough of an awareness to know maybe they're seeing something. As you feel the compassion of God for the people that we live among, have we joined Jesus' new world? The revelation of the kingdom of God invading hearts, lives, communities, institutions, businesses, that is a must-see. When, do, when, when you and I stop and think for a few moments, where do we see God's invitation, having already um, experienced him, where knowing his peace, knowing his reinstatement, now with the eyes to see his kingdom coming and breaking through, have we stopped to look at it all around our life? And this is where Isaiah 61 comes in. Let me just read quickly to you this. On three levels, Isaiah 61 prophesies the great reversal of all things in the Messiah, in Jesus. Isaiah 61 verse 2, here's what it looks like on a personal level. Comfort, beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, praise instead of despair. On a personal level, that's what, that's what the... the revolution looks like on a personal level, Isaiah 61. It also has social impact, social implications. Isaiah 61 verse 4, rebuilding ancient ruins, places that have been long devastated. The social agenda of the kingdom of God is to rebuild life-giving, kingdom-giving, peace-giving places that have been long ruined and and devastated. So if you're being drawn to the devastation around you, pay attention to it. Don't ignore the devastation. Don't turn yourself away from the things that have been ruined. That is often the invitation of the heart of God to bring the kingdom to it. What's devastated in your world, in your street? What's devastated in the lives of our families? Where can we see things have gone to rack and ruin that we might simply be able to be someone who brings the peace of King Jesus? And then there's a global impact. It's personal, it's social, it's global. Isaiah 61, 5 and 6, aliens and foreigners will come and praise will come out of every nation. It's a, it's a, it's a prophetic declaration. The whole globe will come into a revelation of realising that Jesus is Lord. But to finish with today, let's just go to that last... Um, I'll go, actually, we'll go to the... Yeah, keep flicking through. We'll just go to that last one. I'll just leave that quote there, the message of Easter. That's it. I just want to leave that in front of you as we, we pray in a minute. Again, the invitation of God into his new world. You and I have received revelation experiences of King Jesus risen from the dead. Your life is one and so is mine of being re- one of being released from fear and into the peace of God as king. And your life is being reinstated by God this very moment from your sin, from our, my sin, from our self-disqualification, from the disqualification of others, from the powers of darkness that tell us we're no good and we should shut up and go away. Jesus is turning that all around. Your life has significance and meaning and purpose for the sake of the world. That's why Jesus turned up in your life. And that's why he's turning up today. Your life is a part of God's love revolution that is seeing the world one person at a time being transformed by God's lordship and into his kingdom. Revelation, release, reinstatement, Revolution. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for just the opportunity to be able to, yeah, choose 
to come and worship you and to be kingdom people together, people following Jesus. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that um, even as you came and stood among the disciples and even as you came and revealed yourself to Mary in the garden and then the, the disciples in the room, I pray you come reveal yourself now. I thank you that you already are. Come, Lord Jesus, come. It's the prayer of the church. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Reveal yourself again to us. And I pray that in your kindness, Lord, this morning as the resurrected one, you would step into our worlds and you would release us from everything and every power and every choice that has relegated us and bound us and you'd release us once again. Release us once again. Just in the name of King Jesus, we speak to all of those things that bind and hold and establish fear and tyranny over you. We speak to that and we say, in the name of Jesus, be quiet and come down now. Let the kingdom of God come and bring new life. New life. Come, Holy Spirit. Re- give us a sense now, Lord, of what it might be like to be a people who walk out from the room, out from the corner, and join in the amazing revolution of your love touching this world. Come, Lord, paint that picture in all of our hearts. Show us the ones that you want us to love. Show us the ones that we find it hard to love and to love them anyway. Come. Come. Take a moment. Get that picture. Let the Lord just put that into your heart. Come. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that peace would rule and reign over every single one of us and through us. Let peace reign. Not as the world would give it, but as God does. But as God does. Come. Come. Come.